Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. This morning we will examine a rather marvelous and mysterious instance in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Our great God in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank you for your glorious goodness to us, especially in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that uh, your spirit inside of us and your word in our hands will change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Is anyone like me? Does anyone enjoy doing a little bit of grazing before dinner is actually served? Uh, or maybe you're, you're in, uh, in line at Chick-fil-A and you, and, and, and you get your order and it's nice and tidy in a bag and it's sitting beside you and you're on your way home and the, the smell of the waffle fries reaches your nose and, 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 and it's basically, almost audibly asking the question, are you really going to wait uh, till you get home to, to take one of me? Go right ahead. And I, I think the question might be, has anybody ever gone from Chick-fil-A to their house without reaching for a waffle fry first? Um, I, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy, I enjoy doing a little bit of grazing before dinner. Uh, it was a few weeks ago, my wife and my daughter and I were uh, at, back at home visiting uh, our families. And uh, anytime we come into town, mom likes to make uh, a, a dinner that uh, she knows her boy likes. I know all, those, all the sons out here, you understand how that is. And so it's, it's getting close to dinner time and, um, and, and all, the, all the families in the living room and, and mom had left the kitchen for a few moments and I'm, and I'm walk into the kitchen and I see a big pile of fried okra sitting there. And so I, I decide to walk up and take a few bites. And as I'm doing that, I turn around and I see my brother-in-law staring at me. And I said, oh man, you, you got me on this one. He said, actually, I've been doing the same thing. Uh, why do we do this? Why, why, do we, why, do we, why do we want a little taste? Uh, well, it's, it could be a lot of things. One, maybe we're impatient. That's probably my case in, in several instances. Maybe we're just that hungry. But bottom line is, 
we just want a little taste of what's going to come. We, we just want to get that little taste, that foretaste of the glory, which would be the full dinner plate in front of me. And we do this for, and when we do this, two things happen. First of all, it, it is glorious. We, we're reminded that, yeah, this, this, is, this is good. So it satisfies to a level, but secondly, what it does is it makes us long for the full dinner. It, it, it gives us a foretaste so that we will long for the, the, the full plate of dinner that will be sitting before us. Well, I want to submit to you this morning that I believe that this could be a meager illustration of what's happening to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Father is giving Jesus and his humanity and, and the disciples a brief glimpse of the glory of the second member of the Trinity, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's his threefold glory. It's glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. It's also the, a, a, a little taste of the glory that uh, he will have after his resurrection. But most of all, it's the glory that he will have and he will show when he returns in judgment, in glorious judgment. So I think what God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through Matthew, is showing us this morning in the text is simply this, is that Jesus is the Christ. I think when, we, when we're studying the Gospels, it's, it's hard for us to, to get away from that proposition that, that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the long-awaited, predicted Christ. Jesus is the glorious Christ who will return in glorious judgment. Jesus is the Christ. Look at verse one of chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. As, as we begin, Jesus is the Christ. And as we see later in the text, we should listen to him. Yeah, the, the, the truth is there. We know that Jesus is the Christ. Therefore, we should listen to him. So we're in the text. After six days, he took with him Peter, James, and John. And anytime we parachute into the Bible, it's important for us to understand the land that we parachute upon. We're, we're at a, a, a crux in, in the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you jump back one chapter, halfway through the chapter, we see that, that Jesus has taken his disciples uh, on, on a trip. And this is no field trip. This is no sightseeing trip. This is a very intentional trip. Uh, verse, starting in verse 13, Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And he asks this question. He says, what do people, who, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answer the question. Uh, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then he asks them the question that ever since it came out of his mouth in this instance has echoed through all of church history, 2,000 years. It's echoing all over the world today, and it will echo until he returns and then, when, and then nobody will have the question of who do people say the Son of Man is. He asked the, the eternally echoing question, but who do you say that I am? Peter steps up as the, uh, as the spokesperson for the disciples. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are right. And so you have to imagine at this point, the disciples are excited probably. They, they, they thought, you know, Jesus has said some things that we didn't expect him to say. He's not said some things we expected him to say. And he's done some things we didn't expect, and he's not done some things we, we did expect. So at this point, he's probably thinking, here we go. This is it. But then the conversation takes a turn that certainly Peter and the disciples weren't expecting. Look at verse 21. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, this is shocking news uh, for those that are following Jesus who have just proclaimed him to be the Christ. This is shocking news. We, we read over it. We, you know, we expect this in the text because we know it so well, but this is shocking to them. And we see that in Peter's response. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. Haven't you, haven't you read the, the scriptures? Haven't you heard the scribes teaching? And it's, it's interesting that, that Peter goes from confessing Jesus to be the Christ to immediately saying, no, you're actually wrong about what you're, what you're supposed to be doing. Let me uh, correct you. Now, I think at this point it's important for us to, to step back and to not throw stones at Peter. Um, I think it's important if we're understanding redemptive history properly, we understand that uh, Peter uh, really didn't know any better. We, we like to look at the text and we say, Peter, Peter, don't you understand? What do you not understand about Jesus having to go to the cross? He has to do this. How else will our sins be forgiven? How else, do, what do you not understand about substitutionary atonement? Don't you know that he'll die on the cross? He'll be in the grave three days, three nights. He'll rise from the dead and then he'll ascend to the Father and then he'll send his Holy Spirit and will carry on his mission. Don't, don't you understand that? And the answer to that is no. He had no concept of that. But we do. We, we, we do. We are on this side of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, Peter, at this point in his life, he did have an excuse for not fully understanding the mission of God. But we, on, on this side, we, we don't have that excuse. And so when we are before the judgment seat of Christ, all regenerate roads lead to the judgment seat of Christ. When we are there, we will not have the excuse. Well, Lord, we just didn't know enough. Uh, Lord, we didn't, we didn't have enough tools. You didn't, you didn't give us enough information to get the job done. We won't have that excuse. Let's start from the bottom up. We live in a, a time and a place that we can worship openly and freely with brothers and sisters like we're doing right now. We live in a time and a place where the, the, the Bible is in our hands and, uh, and, and there's there are electronic copies that, that can't be numbered. Uh, we uh, are participating in and receiving a theological education of the most pristine type we are. And most importantly, we have the mind of Christ. First Corinthians chapter two tells us, we, we, we know that Jesus died for our sins and raised, he rose from the grave and our sins are forgiven in him, and he's poured out his spirit upon us, and so we should go. So we should harness these things that God has given to us. Let us not waste these things. I don't know if you're like me, a lot of times I feel a little guilty. I'll look around campus and I'll think, why did God choose me to, to have this type of, of education? Uh, there, there are brothers and sisters all over the world that would, would, would die to sit in one Old Testament two class, which I'll be doing tonight, just one of them. Why, why did God choose me? But he did, uh, and, he, and he did it on purpose for us to be a channel of blessing. So let's harness the good gifts God has given to us, and let's be on his mission. Let's be on his train. Back to the text. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up high, led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, when anytime we see a mountain in the text, our ears should be perked, especially in, in Matthew. Uh, Matthew is, is highlighting something that God has done for a long time. 
he's, he's highlighting that Jesus is continuing a divine tradition, a divine habit of, of revealing himself, God revealing himself greatly on mountains. Um, so, so God seems to be a fan of mountains. Jesus uh, reveals himself greatly on, on several mountains uh, in, in the New Testament that Matthew highlights. So God seems to be a fan of, of mountains. I think it'd be appropriate at this point to, to ask the question, I mean, is it any wonder that God placed the greatest college football program on a mountain that we call Rocky Top? Is, is, that, is that any coincidence? I better move on before Dr. Aiken physically removes me from the pulpit. <laughs> so the point is, God does great things on mountain. Jesus is continuing this divine tradition and he's fulfilling this divine tradition. Not only, not as a, just, a, just a man walking up and, and, and getting a word from the Lord. This is God himself ascending the mountain. Look at verse two. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So Jesus is the Christ. We should listen to him. The first affirmation of that in the text is, is this. His divine glory was unveiled. How is his messiahship being affirmed? His divine glory was unveiled. Transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Mark says that his clothes became whiter than anyone could ever possibly bleach his clothes. Luke says that his appearance was like lightning. And Luke also adds that the disciples were uh, kind of were, were waking from, from sleep so we can imagine this, this could have possibly been at night. Um, and it reminds me of when I was younger, I used to be petrified of, of thunderstorms, uh, especially thunderstorms at night. And, uh, and, and you've been there, you, you, you know what I'm talking about, when the, the, the rumble of thunder awakens you and, you and you sit up in bed and you say, okay, I think, I think, uh, I think it's going to be storming. I think it is storming. And then once your eyes are open, lightning hits and the room is just lit up and it, it's startling, isn't it? Well, imagine the lightning being in your room. That's, that's what the disciples are waking up to. He was transfigured, his, his, his face shone like the sun, clothes became white as light. And so what is going on here in this text? Like, like we said, it's, it's, a, it's a rather marvelous and mysterious instance. The Father is giving Jesus in his humanity and the disciples a glimpse of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, a, a glimpse of, of his threefold glory, glory he had with the Father before the foundation of the world, certainly the glory he's gonna have when he rises from the dead, but ultimately the glory that he will have in judgment. And I think this was the glory that Paul was talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter one. Turn with me there quickly, 2 Thessalonians chapter one. Certainly this is the glory that Paul is, is talking about. Certainly this is the glory that literally blinded the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. 2 Thessalonians chapter one. Starting in verse five, this is the evidence, Paul says, of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire to afflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on, the, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. This on the Mount of Transfiguration is a precursor. It's a glimpse of this day 
when the Lord Jesus will reveal himself in flaming fire. Can you imagine it? Uh, do, do you imagine it? Do you, do you ponder this? Do you uh, dwell on this? I think, it's, I think it's healthy for us too, for a lot of reasons. No, notice in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the, the two implications of Jesus returning. One, Jesus will inflict wrath and eternal punishment on those who do not know him. So the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ should push us to take the gospel to those who don't know him because wrath is coming. Um, it should break our hearts to know that this is coming. So we ought to be doing anything that we can do to, to make sure that our peop- uh, the, the, the people living next door to us, our, our neighbors, our communities know, at least have heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from our mouth. Second implication is what we long for. Paul says that we will, we will marvel at him when he comes. Picture it for just a moment. Imagine the Lord Jesus breaking open the clouds and we will, we will be gazing at him. Paul says we will be marveling at him. And, and it has to be a marveling unlike we've ever experienced. We, we, he's gonna return, there's gonna be judgment and we will be marveling at him. Um, so, so his glory should push us to do several things. One, like we said, it, it should push us to share the gospel. Secondly, it should motivate us to live a holy life. The Bible is very clear on that. The, 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 the writers of the epistles reflecting back on the glory of Jesus and, and the glory of him when he comes, it should motivate us to live lives of holiness. And lastly, it can motivate us in times where we just wanna give up. Uh, what, what do we do when we just want to give up, when we're in despair, uh, when, when we ask God the question, why, why is it this way? Why have you called me into ministry? I, I'm, I'm, I'm weary of battling against my enemies, against the spiritual forces of, of darkness, against my own flesh uh, that, that's battling against your spirit inside of me, God. I'm, I'm just, I'm weary of it. What is it that pushes us to pursue holiness, to live for him, and to pursue our calling that he's called us to, and it's his glory, to remember his glory and to, and to gaze upon it uh, uh, and, and to dwell upon and, 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 and long for that day when he returns in glory, and we will marvel at him. Marveling we will do. Jesus is the Christ, um, so we should listen to him and warn others to do the same. Jesus is the Christ, uh, affirmed first of all by his divine glory being unveiled. Secondly, look at verse 3. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Jesus is the Christ, affirmed by his divine glory being unveiled. Secondly, affirmed by his godly company. His, divine, his, his messiahship is affirmed by his divine company. And behold, it appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with him. Again, marvelous and mysterious. What are Moses and Elijah doing there? Well, three questions automatically pop up when we read through this. Number one, why are they there? Well, the answer to that is simple. God sent them. God sent Moses and Elijah on that mountain at that time for a very specific purpose, for a very 
specific message. The next question that arises is, what are they doing there? What, what are Moses and Elijah doing? Well, they're, they're talking with him, the Bible says, talking with Jesus. Luke adds the detail that they were talking with him about his impending departure, which is another way of saying his death. Notice the juxtaposition between Peter's response to Jesus um, that, that his declaration that he's going to die and Moses and Elijah. For, it went from opposition to seemingly it's, it's a conversation, uh, an, an affirming conversation. We don't know exactly how the conversation went, but, no, but notice the juxtaposition. Um, so they're talking with him about his impending death. Uh, lastly, uh, why, what does their appearance mean? Uh, that, that probably the most important question. What, what, what is their uh, appearing with Jesus, talking with him? What does it mean? Well, I think we can deduce what it means by first of all seeing why they're not there by looking at Peter's response. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good in verse 4 that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, uh, Peter's response is kind of uh, head-scratching. Uh, what, what is he, uh, what, why is he bringing up tents? Well, there's a few, uh, few interpretations of, of, of why he responds in this way. The first one is maybe he's, his mind is on the Feast of Booths, so he, maybe it's around that time, so his mind just, just goes there, and he says, well, let's, let's make three tents. Uh, another one um, is he's, he's, he's thinking, hey, let's make our headquarters here. This must be the time, since Moses and Elijah have appeared. Maybe, maybe now it's time that we go back to Jerusalem and reclaim the throne of David and, and, uh, and, and Israel will be supreme and sovereign over all the land. Maybe now it's time, so let's set up our headquarters right here. Maybe it's that, but I think it's the, the third interpretation. Uh, Peter just simply didn't know what he was saying. And, uh, and we can deduce that also from, from Luke's account. Uh, Luke says, he, he records this word, Lord, it's good that we're here if you wish. I'll make three tents, one for you, Moses, and Elijah, for he knew not what he said. That's what, uh, that's what Luke adds. Um, and, and again, let's not throw stones at Peter. What, what, would, what would we do? It would be like walking into theology class and chatting it up with Dr. Keithley as uh, Augustine and, uh, and John Calvin. Uh, you, you know, what, what are you going to say to those two? Or, or walk, walking into preaching class and chatting it up with Dr. Milioni as uh, John Chrysostom and, and Charles Spurgeon. You know, what, what are you going to say? Hey, hey, Charles, glad you're here. Do you use a pencil or do you use you, iPad? How do you take notes? The bathroom's down the hall on the left. What, what are you going to say? Uh, this, this is a, this is a, a marvelous, uh, this, is, this is a marvelous instance. Um, but the, whatever the misunderstanding is that Peter has, um, we can deduce this, that the overarching misunderstanding is that Moses and Elijah's appearance is about them. That, that's what he's thinking. He's thinking this is a meeting among equals. Uh, so so let, let's, let's accommodate uh, these two guests. Um, and we know this is not the case because the divine voice cuts him off mid-sentence. Look at verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, um, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Notice he doesn't say, listen to them. Uh, now Moses and Elijah, you can get a little extra from them. You know, you can ask, you can ask them to elaborate on some things they wrote. He doesn't say that. He says, listen to them. The, the, the divine voice doesn't mention Moses and Elijah. He mentions only the son. Listen to him. And so thirdly, Jesus is the Christ uh, uh, affirmed by his divine glory being unveiled. Secondly, by his godly company. And thirdly, by the affirmation of the, of the divine voice. The affirmation of the divine voice. Here's what, here's, here's what the voice of the Father is, is, is 
explaining to the disciples that, uh, that, that this moment is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this, yes, we would never take away from what Moses and Elijah has done. Most, most scholars will believe that their appearance is, uh, it, it represents a, a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But this is not a uh, Moses and Elijah passing on the baton. Hey, J- hey Jesus, we did our part. Now it's, it's your turn to take his. Jesus is the baton. Jesus is the mission. And, and the divine voice affirms that. Uh, and, and, and within a biblical theological framework, we can understand from a, the theology of Matthew that, that, that Matthew is highlighting especially that Jesus is the new Moses that Jesus is, is the, the prophet that would arise from your brothers that would be like Moses. And I can prove it to you. And turn, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18 real quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15. This is from Moses speaking to the young nation of Israel. 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Does that sound familiar? Just as you desired from the Lord your God at Oreb on the day of assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they've spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So the the father is not not, uh, saying new words. He's echoing the words that came from Moses thousands of years earlier that a prophet would arise and he would be like Moses, but he would be the new Moses uh, he would be the better Moses. Where, where Moses failed, Jesus succeeds. Jesus, the God-man. The, uh, the Father says, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Let me ask us this morning, uh, are we listening to him? Are we listening to him? This is actually a command in, in the Greek, akouete, Hear him, the Father says. Hear him. Are we listening to him? Yes, we listened to his voice on the day of salvation, and we responded. We, 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 we responded with repentance and faith, and we placed our trust in him to be our Savior and to, for us to receive eternal life with him now and forever. Yes, but did you hear him this morning? Did you listen to him on the drive in today? Are you listening him let, let let us be a people that listens to God that that that's that pursues his voice that, that 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 knows him so well that we can that we can discern his voice that we can discern his leading that we can know when that we can know his touch and know when he wants us to go this way we can we can hear his voice see the, the problem with uh, where we are today there, there's well there's a lot of problems um, but, but one, one issue is um, there's, a, there, there's a, lot of, a lot of voices out there. 
Uh, we, we live in a time where everybody has a voice and these are good things, um, but we need to be discerning, right, in who we expose ourselves to. Uh, so, so, many, so many opinions out there and you, I don't know if you guys know this, but not everybody's opinion on social media is, uh, is, is godly. Uh, Newsflash for us. N- notice when, when a lot of times when I've, I have the Bible and I, and I juxtapose it against my life, I notice what the Bible doesn't say. He doesn't say, behold, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to everybody else talk about him. Uh, this is my beloved son. Listen to, to Twitter. Uh, listen to the Fox Listen to news outlets. Listen, listen to everyone who has an opinion about who Jesus is and how you should live. Now, I'm not taking away from, from many of these things. Am I, am I saying that God's voice can't be heard through social media? Absolutely not. Have you seen what Southeastern puts out? Right? I mean, God can use these things. But there's so many voices. We have to be discerning who, what we subject our souls to. I want to hear God's voice. Uh, this, an example of this, uh, my wife shared with me a couple weeks ago that she read a blog, imagine that. Uh, she read a blog of a, of a woman uh, who has grown children and she said, I feel sorry for the, the moms of, of this age. They're just constantly inundated with, with, uh, with new information, opinions and condemnation from the other side. One day you'll wake up and you'll see an article that says, here are 10 reasons why you should still spank your children. Here's 10 reasons why you should, you should do it. It's a, it's a godly thing, and it'll actually, uh, it'll actually please God uh, to discipline your children in this way. And so, so my wife and I, we, we want to be good parents. So we, um, we, we try <laughs> really hard. It's, 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 it's difficult uh, a lot of the days, especially to be consistent with discipline. So we read that and we think, okay, we're on the right track. Let's, let's keep doing this. Then the next day, an article comes out that says, here are 11 reasons why you shouldn't spank your children. Here's 11 reasons why you might be disobeying God if you spank your children. And so we subject, we subject ourselves to, no matter what subject it is, it, there's, a, there's a spectrum of opinions, even in our Christian world, that, that there's so many voices that we lose God's voice. Um, and again, I'm not taking away from, from those voices, but I want to hear God's voice first by the means that he's given to us. I want to saturate my life in his word uh, I, I want to pray at all times in the spirit. I want, to, I want to pray without ceasing. I want to live a life that is saturated with the word of God. I want to listen to him. I, 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 want, I, 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 I want to hear, and, and, and God uses all of us to share his voice, but I want to hear him by the means that he's given me first and foremost. I want to hear his voice. Dr. Shaddix shares a, a story. Uh, he was in Dallas as a young pastor with some other pastors, and um, they, were in, they, they were downtown and said, let's go, uh, let, let's go to First Baptist Dallas, see if we can catch a glimpse of, of the great Dr. W.A. Criswell. See if, we can, see if we can catch a glimpse of him. So they go, to, go to his office, they go up to his office, talk to his secretary. Hey, I, I know this is a long shot, but can we, um, can, we, can we see Dr. Criswell? She said, well, he's actually not here. He would see, but he's not here. So they leave, and, as they, and they're going down an alley, and they, and they pass him. They pass the, uh, Dr. Criswell, and uh, he invites them up to their office, and, and so they're, they're, they're enjoying spending time together. And, and lastly, Dr. Shaddix says, hey, Dr. Criswell, before we leave, uh, if you could give one piece of advice to, to young pastors, uh, to us, uh, to those like us, what would it be? And he leaned over the table, and he said, lad, keep your mornings for God. Keep your mornings for God. Now, whether it's your mornings, whether it's your evenings, whether it's at lunchtime, uh, we need to be consistently and persistently pursuing God. 
because it's only when we are connected with him uh, that we can be a channel of blessing uh, to, to others. Um, I, I, I spend my time with the Lord in the morning. It, 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 um, it, 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 it's, it, there's nothing more spiritual about the morning, but it seems to be that God is a fan um, of, of, of rhythms. So the, the sun comes up each morning, the sun goes down, we go to bed each night, we wake up in the morning. But within those consistent rhythms, there's also little differences, right? The sun comes up a little later, goes down a little later. Uh, the weather's different today than it was yesterday. So within those rock-solid rhythms are variation. So, but, but, so the, the, the rock-solid um, uh, pattern in our life should be the pursuing of God and, and with variation in there course but we should be pursuing God saturating our lives in his word and and hearing him uh, praying at all times in the spirit this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased listen to him uh, I, I want to close with uh, a couple of things uh, look at verse 6 when the disciples heard this in the presence back in Matthew 17 in the presence of the glory of God and the glory of the second member of the Trinity the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. And again, this is another moment where I place my life uh, against the Bible. And notice what the disciples don't do here. Hey, Moses and Elijah, we're glad you're here. While you're here, can you go ahead and answer this question? Which one of the three of us are the greatest? Uh, me, James, or John, it's just us here. We're not going to share this with the, the rest of the disciples when we go back down the hill. hill. While y'all are here, maybe you can answer this question because Jesus seems to be side-skirting it. He gives us kind of a cryptic answer. Maybe you can answer the question, who is the greatest? He doesn't do that. Uh, they don't do that. What are they doing? They're on their faces uh, in fear here. What I've noticed about my life is when I am most prone to be prideful and to compare myself to others and be asking the question, uh, how, how, how might God use me? Uh, how do I compare to, to this one or that one? It's when I've forgotten God's glory. That's when. When I'm not in awe of him on my knees uh, with his word in front of me in awe of his glory, I begin to become really prideful. So let us, number one, let's walk out today. Let us remember his glory. Let us remember God's glory because it's when we forget is when we start to gather our own glory. We start to pursue our own glory. Let's not forget his glory. But Jesus came and touched them, verse 7, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I want us to finish with this. The, the glorious Christ, the Christ who will return in glorious judgment and we will be standing and we will be marveling at him and we, we can't even describe in, in, in human language what that'll be like. We just, we're just gonna marvel at him. We don't know what it's gonna be like, but he's gonna return in glory so much so that there's no one on the face of the planet who, who won't know that he's returned. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 24, don't listen to these people who say that they're the Christ or me reincarnated, everybody's gonna know when I come. Just as lightning lights up one end of the, of the sky to the other, everybody's gonna know when I return. So don't listen to them. This same Christ, glorious Christ, is also the savior of the personal touch. Jesus says, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let, let, let us 
let, let us uh, feel his touch. Because like we said, that we cannot live this mission that he's called us on unless we are connected to him, unless we hear his voice. John 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let us be connected with him. Let's not forget his glory and let's listen to him. And let us join in on, on the mission of the triune God, obeying the command of the Father to hear him and proclaim him to the nations by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Let's pray together as we close. Father, we do thank you for uh, your word in our hands. Thank you um, that you've given it to us in our hands. Thank you for your spirit inside of us. Thank you for showing us the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, opening the, the eyes of our heart, and we have seen him, and we have believed in him, we've repented of our sins, placed our faith in him. Thank you for that, God. We, we know, just like Peter, that that's not of our own doing. It's not of our own flesh. It is, it is your work. You've done that. Thank you for that, God. Let us, let, us not, let us not forget your glory. Let us live for your glory. Let us live lives that listen to you and hear you and proclaim to others to hear him as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.